Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Shay Marville. I am an entrepreneur, a business and meditation coach, and a mom. And like you, I'm going through the wildness of this once in a century pandemic that has changed everything. I want this space to be a place where we have conversations about the good things, the hard things, the sad things, and the sorrow, the triumphs, and the resilience. May this moment in our collective history be a catalyst for compassion, inclusion, better thinking, adaptation, and well-being. My friends, let's talk. Today, I have the privilege of introducing you to a very special guest, Neil Prashad. He is the founder, CEO, and president of Origin Global, Origin Active Living, and the man behind the Origin Way, a philosophy dedicated to looking after the lives of seniors and the care workers that look after them. Neil has degrees from Waterloo, MIT, and Harvard. He is focused on holistic living, on designing environments and communities that allow seniors between the age of 75 and 105 to live well. And I've also had the awesome privilege of working with Neil for the last seven years. And that's a unique story. My friends, welcome, Neil Prashad. Neil, how are you? And welcome to Let's Talk. Thanks, Shay. Um, really excited about this. And obviously, um, incredibly proud of you and what you're trying to do and uh, what you have been doing and more than happy to be, um, you know, uh, one of the foundational pieces to to launch your rocket ship, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm very, very excited um, about the opportunity to to chat with you today. So, so Neil, I know that, I mean, obviously, you know, it goes without saying that this is a tumultuous time for everyone around the world, but especially for someone like you who has been, you know, creating communities for people over, you know, 80 for 30 plus years. Can you kind of, you know, tell us like, what's your view right now of what's happening and what you're trying to do with your communities? Sure. Um, you know, uh, very early on in my career, um, you know, your mom and my mom were nurses back in England, both from the Caribbean, and uh, they went to school uh, together. That's right. Yes. And so we grew up in in healthcare homes, and uh, what we know is that um, care workers around the world have uh, always been um, the backbone of health and wellness in our communities, right? And, um, and you, like myself, remember our moms working long hours, working multiple jobs in healthcare and sitting around the, the dining room table and talking about the issues that affected them. And um, I, you know, I, I still remember how hard it was for my mom um, uh, to uh, afford uh, dental coverage for me, you know, and I yes. was like 12 years old. I remember, you know, her having to save up to get me to the dentist. And one of the things that 
uh, you know, some of those very seminal kind of uh, experiences growing up in, in, a, in a healthcare home um, have really affected me in the way I uh, pursued my career and the way uh, I run my business and the, and the impacts that I feel like I've had in parts of our industry. And um, I remember one of those conversations about, uh, you know, the dental, going to the dentist. And one of the things we did when I was part of uh, the startup of uh, uh, Amica back in the late 90s was, you know, we were acquiring buildings and and, uh, at a rate of like one a month, I think, in 1998 or 1999. And I would go and speak to... uh, you know, teams of people, the teams of care workers in the buildings that we had just acquired. And uh, one of the things that I, I talked about was the importance of creating a benefits plan for all our full-time team members. And that seemed like a pretty basic thing, and it is relatively commonplace today. But 20 years ago, it was it was a, a big step, you know, to to value people enough so that their 10 and 12 year olds at home um, could go to the dentist and not stress their mom out, you know? So this is so right on. It's so right on because, you know, I mean, I I don't know that actually a lot of workers now, you know, in the industry have dental care for, for their Mm. kids. So, and, 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 and so the fact that, you know, that's one of the tenants that's important as, as looking after, your community is how you look after your people and their families that, you know, I think right there that creates a different kind of experience for not just the residents, but for their, for their family members. And Mm -hmm. in particular, because you need people who stick through this, this business. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you have that kind of support, then yeah, you, you've got a reason, you've got an incentive to do it, right? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, Shay. And uh, um, a couple of things, just to go back to your, your original point about uh, what have I observed? Um, obviously, uh, we're knee deep in the pandemic right now. Um, there were two key things that I think today uh, are really dramatically affecting our industry and the way uh, our society looks at uh, at its aged um, uh, members. First and foremost, we're on the cusp of a, a, a major demographic shift with the aging baby boomers starting to turn 75 next year, right? Um, and this, this this whole concept of of the baby boom bulge in the population pyramid, it's now starting to come home. In a, in, in a very dramatic way where we're seeing, um, you know, a considerable impact in our society by the aging of the baby boomers. So we were always going to be dealing with 2021 being the beginning of this incredible uh, shift in the way uh, healthcare is delivered to older people, right? Because the baby boomers are going from being looking after their parents to now looking about themselves, yes. and that was always going to create a massive shift in in the industry. That combined with obviously the the sort of 
uh, you know, lifting <laughs> up the, cush the cushion uh, and seeing what's under there that has happened with COVID. And it's, it's illustrated a whole bunch of issues that, you know, we don't want to get into right now. But, uh, you know, you combine this massive shift in demographics with um, massive changes that are required in the way we, uh, as a society, look at older people and the way we care for them. Yes. And the way, especially, the thing that binds it all together for us as a company and for me and for you is how do we treat the care workers, right? Precisely. Because if you're going to be dealing with this demographic shift of uh, a baby boomer who is going to look at the at their retirement very differently, well, you know, if they if they're going to be more engaged than any consumer group in history for mm -hmm. uh, senior services, you can't have engaged customers if you don't have engaged team members, right? If your yes. staff aren't in similarly engaged, they're not going to be able to deliver on those uh, very high-minded marketing promises that we all make in the industry. So that's one thing. The second thing I think is that with the pandemic and the ills that it has uh, illustrated and shone a spotlight on uh, is, is that we need to rethink how we value people who deliver frontline care in Canada. And I think those two things combined uh, are really driving an entire, you know, mind shift for all the leaders in our industry to figure out how do we attract better and keep people, uh, better talent to our industry and keep them motivated and keep them growing and incent those marvelous, you know, people who selflessly give of themselves every single day to, uh, to an, an aging consumer, um, they're just rewards. And I, I, I think that is a challenge that I personally have been engaged in. And as you know, our company, we're fully engaged in trying to figure that out through our education programs and talent development. You've been an integral yes. part in all of that. But you know, um, the word that you didn't use that you always use, hmm as part of engagement is care. Right. You always talk about the care of your team members as being in line and equal to the care of mm. the residents. And as I listen to the news about long-term care right now and, and, and the queries and the worries and the anxiety, uh, which I think I'm, I like you, I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's about time that there was this kind of focus but you don't hear as much about the team members and the employees that are working in the communities. Mm -hmm. They're almost, they're being in some ways vilified. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what I love about origin, what I really, I mean, I love a lot of things about origin, but one of the things is that that philosophy of care, that's, that's in all of your general managers, mm -hmm. in all of your leaders, you know, whether you're talking to housekeepers or you're talking to the people who are working in the restaurant, or you know, you're talking to people who are nursing. Like, how do you like? Why has that been such a huge? Well, I know why it's been such a huge mm. piece, but how do you keep inculcating that within the culture so consistently? Right. Well, uh, the the whole concept of valuing and uh, uplifting 
caregivers uh, is is very foreign to the people on the front lines in the caregiving world, right? They have yeah. been they have been um, given lip service for a long time, and um, so when we uh, talk about uh, trying to care for our team members, uh, and and as you know, we created the whole concept of the Soul Cafe. And even in, in all of our education uh, curricula, we, you know, 25% of the curricula is, is designed specifically for self-care and personal wellness, personal financial wellness, and trying to educate people about just being better. And, and I think, you know, maybe we go a little bit too far sometimes, but I think we need to do that as an industry to really show people how much we value them because turnover and lack of staffing and poor quality training and people who are, uh, you know, ill um, prepared or shouldn't be doing certain types of work. These are the things that, that get most of the press. And these are the things that create the, the sort of black marks on our industry but by and large, I would say the vast, vast majority of caregivers, uh, I mean, they, you know, get up in the morning and they know what's ahead and they still show up to work and they put in that time and they smile and they work their behinds off every single day. And they do it principally because it's in their DNA. And I think as an industry, as a society, we need to do more to respect and value these people and to teach them how to care for themselves. Yes. Right. And I know that's a big part of your own personal mission and the things you've done with, with our training systems that teach people mindfulness and meditation and self-balance and, and, and because, you know, the, the better prepared they are as individuals, the better husbands and wives and moms and dads that they are, the better they are going to be with caring for people who are every single day dealing with some significant physical and cognitive and health challenges. Bang on. And I think that, um, you know, a part of that ongoing education is this commitment to people's mental health and resilience. And I, and I, I love that that just by talking about it, you know, it destigmatizes it for a lot of people and mm -hmm. having a leader who says, you know, our mental health is really, really important. How, how did you find yourself in this industry? Like, I mean, I know your inspiration mm. was, was mom and, and all your mom, but, but how did you, you kind of came into it in a very unusual way. Yeah. You know, um, I, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Waterloo in urban planning. And um, one of the first things, one of the first courses I remember taking was one on uh, the study of demographics. And sure enough, uh, back in the uh, early 80s, they were, you know, we were learning about the, the, the baby boom generation. And um, over time, uh, throughout my undergraduate uh, education, I, I just started to gravitate more and more towards trying to understand uh, city planning, community ordering principles around an aging population. I actually did my undergraduate uh, thesis at the University of Waterloo on uh, a concept of 
reusing surplus school sites for conversion um, to uh, sites for seniors housing. And very clearly in a very naive way, what I was trying to, um, to grasp was this balance between land use and demographics, right? Yeah. And the changes in both and how we can be better and more effectively use um, urban infill sites for senior housing, as opposed to just keep pushing people out further and further into the pasture, right? Into, into the greenfield sites. And, um, oh. and, and very curiously, you know, over my 34 year career now, um, you know, we've done multiple projects where we've reused surplus school sites. So one of the things that that taught me um, very early on in that experience was, yes, I could look at land use, but then uh, what about the buildings? What about these mm. school buildings? And, and so it led to some curiosity around environmental design for aging. And um, I was able to uh, get accepted to go and study under um, a professor by the name of Sandra Howell, who had, um, uh, Professor Howell had written many of the books I read on environmental design. Uh, wow. And she and Powell Lawton and some of these people from, uh, it, I call them the Jero Mafia. You know, they, <laughs> were, they were these early thinkers about uh, re-engineering built environments for older people. And uh, I was her very last graduate student. I got a, and she opened a lot of doors for me, but I studied uh, architecture focused on aging and environmental design. Wow. And uh, while I was at, uh, at, at MIT, which is where she taught, um, uh, I was able to, um, to, to do a second master's degree in business, essentially focused on real estate and healthcare. And so, um, you know, my graduate school thesis was on creating aging in place communities, which curiously enough became the business plan for when we started Amica and ultimately uh, for Origin. So, Wow. Um, Astonishing. Amazing. A real thread that goes back a very long way. Let's put it that way. And, and how do you define, how do you define senior care or, or senior, senior housing, actually, before we go to care, how do you define senior housing? You alluded earlier to the fact that because of the baby boomers and their different needs and the money that, you know, or the, or the money they used to have, <laughs> uh, yeah. everything is different now. Um, you know, what they want is very different from, from the generation before them. Right. But how, like, do you have like a working definition or is it continually evolving about what uh, senior housing and senior care looks like? Um, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, I, th I think we're moving away with the baby boomers and certainly post-pandemic uh, world, we're moving away from this concept of, of senior housing being uh, focused inwards, right? It, 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 it's this, for lack of a better term, the dictionary defines it as a ghetto, a ghetto of, uh, yeah. you know, 85 plus year old people all living together. Um, and, you know, the, the design philosophies were to recreate Main Street in the in, on the ground floor of the building, and uh, it, you know, so it was very much of a history and an inertia of creating specialized places. You look at what happens in the U.S. with they create gated communities, right? They want to yes. keep keep people safe and keep them uh, looking inwards. I think baby boomers 
are looking outwards more and, and uh, they want to be in collective dwellings, no question. Uh, congregate living is an important uh, and valuable tool for understanding how people socialize. Um, but they are also what we're finding, um, the new generation of, of consumers are saying, I want to live with other people. I want to be able to go in the elevator and see uh, a, a young mom with a child mm. in a in a stroller and say hello or see somebody with a dog and you know uh, and and but at the same time I want to know that I can get the services yes. you know curated for me as as I need them so it's it's a tearing apart of the services piece but um, and it's a tearing apart of the housing piece and you know we're starting to learn the term co-housing now. I don't know if you've right. heard of that thing, but you know, that's a whole other discussion. But I think it illustrates this this inertia, this movement of our industry more towards a normalized housing environment that just happens to have a group of older people who live together and socialize together and age in place. What 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 is co-housing? How do you define it? Uh, the the way we define it is the ability to uh, to allow um, housing not just for one specific age or um, uh, ability uh, group, right? right? So you could actually have um, students uh, living in the same building where you have uh, uh, older people. You may have uh, workers who, you know, uh, maybe that single mom with two kids who um also works you know not only as a care provider in that building but maybe she works uh at the hospital as well and you could have child care that's provided by older people i think it's just it it is just saying how can the real estate reflect what society is valuing as the way it wants to live and you know we're seeing uh, baby boomers wanting to be closer to downtown because that's where all the theaters and restaurants and yes. museums are, you know, and, and this whole concept of pushing me out to the suburbs is, is anathema to them. And they're saying, no, I don't want to be there. That's where you, my mom was happy. I'm not happy there. You know, I want to be able to be uh, a part of the activity, but I also want the services and I want them when I want them in the, in the style that I want them. I, you know, we in origin call that the engagement model where you engage each customer in their own preferences and you find ways of fitting your services to them as opposed to the three meals a day, one size fits all pricing and uh, package that defines our industry today. That's kind of flowed out of your uh, concept around life enrichment, this idea that there are all these, you know, there's these dimensions of wellness for for a resident um, and that engagement, like physical, emotional engagement, psychological engagement are a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing we do know is uh, you can, and I know this from (laughs) many years of experience, is you can't have happy, engaged team members if you don't have happy, engaged residents, and you don't get happy, engaged residents, if you don't have happy, engaged 
team members. So it, it, it's a symbiotic energy that comes from people who deliver services and the people who receive it. And, and ultimately, we know that um, happiness comes from doing things that resonate with each individual, doing things that are important to their health and mental health, physical yes. health. So, you know, it just means that, you know, it's not bingo at 3 p.m. every week, you know, <laughs> it, it, it might be bingo once a month, but it might be, you know, chess or it might be a discussion group about opera or jazz or there's a, an art class uh, being taught by one of our, our residents, you know, like, it, yes. who knows, right? All, all we need to do is figure out a platform that slices and dices what engages people in their own personal happiness and find a way to deliver it cost effectively and, and appropriately. Um, and that is a revolution in our industry. I tell you. Why do you say it's a revolution? What? Because it's, it's a hard thing to change the minds and the practices of businesses that have, uh, you know, conceptually, you know, look at the future through the rear view mirror. Right. Mm. And I started out today talking about the fact that our consumer group is changing radically from what it always has been. So for 25, 30 years, we've been doing things this way. And now we're being asked to, and, you know, to start to shift our minds around to, to be more resonant with resonant with a consumer group that is just starting to come to our front doors. And, uh, but they'll be lining up there for the next 50 years. And if we, you know, there are always winners and losers in every industry and in every business, but uh, it, you know, we need to embrace this concept of a changing consumer and especially uh, a changing consumer that will demand a, a changed approach to care workers a changing consumer and a diverse a very diverse oh, consumer very so. in in terms of you know background uh finance uh language you know mm -hmm. culture etc uh, how do you see that sort of rolling out like or how what are you imagining as you you think about that yeah you know um Canada, uh, most of the developed world, we have been, we've seen a lot of immigration, um, multiple generations of people from different parts of the world who bring different expectations, uh, different concepts of what it means to for personal wellness and health, how they approach, uh, um, you know, prescription medicines versus natural medicine, um, uh, even food and, uh, and, and some of these other key components. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all age generally the same way and we all have the same uh, issues of cognitive and physical decline and, um, and, and what happens to our aging bodies. Uh, so we think in, in origin that there's a tremendous opportunity to to expand uh, the the scope of our of our business to really look at uh, different uh, opportunities with different ethnic groups, different um, concepts around uh, what it means to live in a collective dwelling, and to 
embrace people who, you know, want different things, but happen to be friends when they get together socially. Mm. So, so Neil, is, is this why you are also looking outside of Canada? Like you, you, you've, you've got a couple of communities that have been developed in Poland. I know that there, there are plans to expand into other parts of Europe. Um, there, there's work that we were doing in Barbados for, for mm-hmm. a couple of years and continue to do. How are you like, how are you thinking about, you know, that sort of global piece of aging and the communities that are here? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think we in Canada sometimes underplay or undervalue just how good we are at, mm-hmm. at things globally. Um, I've been fortunate enough to travel around the world and, and uh, attend conferences. We, you know, we tried to expand to China. We've been in the Caribbean. We've been in Central Europe, Western Europe. Um, and what I can tell you is that what we do in Canada, and I know we're, get, we're taking it on the chin right now as an industry, but we are really good at what we do. And we do a better job than pretty much anybody on the planet, including the Australians and the New Zealanders and the people in, in Scandinavia. Because, And I'll tell you why. Because we are still a social, uh, socialized healthcare country. And we have the benefit of living next door to the Americans who are by far and away uh, the best consumer-driven marketing, uh, innovative engine around uh, products and services for older people. So we get the benefit of both, right? And pretty much no one else on the planet has that. So when, when we go to England, for example, and we start talking about the fact that Yes, we understand how the, in the UK, the NHS relates to the delivery of care and services to older people. But at the same time, we understand that there's a, uh, a need to be marketing driven and, and consumer oriented. And that's a bit foreign to them because they haven't had that level of, of, uh, of environmental and business push and um, so I, I think the other key factor is we are, as Canadians, we are always trained to, you know, when we, when we go anywhere new, we're eyes open, ears open, mouth shut, right? And we listen <laughs> and we see, and then we talk. And, yes, yeah. uh, and, I, and I think people embrace that sort of kinder, gentler uh, approach. approach. And they but mostly they know that in Canada, we are really good at um, creating environments and systems to care for older people. Notwithstanding we're having our troubles right now in long-term of course. care. Yes. There are reasons why, but by and large, please don't throw up the baby with the bathwater. It's, you know, we're a, a really good industry when you look at us on a global level. Do you think that part of, uh, your strength and the strength here has to do with in Canada, every province sort of is different. Like the mm-hmm. rules are a bit different and, and you operate in three different provinces. Yeah. So uh, like, I, I think like, especially your relationships in BC and Alberta, like between the communities and the health organizations, can you sort of 
speak to, to, to that a little bit? Like, I, I love those partnerships, like the, with, you know, Whitehorn and Evergreen, mm -hmm. those communities there, they have really strong relationships with Alberta Health and, and right. they really work as a team. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and that's a good point about, um, you know, our, the, the way our provinces are set up and we don't even use the same language to describe the types of services we do, but um, you know, that's, that's an opportunity, right? Uh, and you, you definitely have to think globally, but act locally if you're going to be successful in Canada. And that's one of the training uh, fundamentals that I think that this prepares origin to go internationally. Um, what we, you know, we've done extremely well in the past 20 years uh, in Alberta, uh, primarily because we have embraced their version of public-private partnerships, uh, which allows us to be innovative and creative. And, and we've been able to do things that we, we have not been able to do anywhere else. And I don't think a lot of uh, companies have been able to do anywhere else outside of Alberta, um, which is to create uh, true affordable housing that is not just independent living. It's actually it's serviced independent with assisted living. And it's that public-private partnership model that allows us to uh, deliver care to people when they need it, but also keep our accommodation rates very low. And, you know, we're able to do things uh, in, a, in a very remarkable way because, uh, you know, the folks in Alberta are um, very open and creative when it comes to embracing uh, these public-private partnerships. Yeah, it doesn't it, mean that we it, it doesn't exist elsewhere. We just haven't been able to to do it in the way that we have been able to do it in Alberta. There, there's amazing um, oversight as well uh, between uh, in the in the collaboration. Mm -hmm. I know, and I and I think that, and it's oversight without it being um, about uh, judging and and policing. It's really a very collaborative relationship that that speaks both ways, and so I think I think it's definitely a model that 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 can be um, replicated and should be replicated because mm -hmm. it works so well for for the residents and for the team members and for the healthcare organization who know that they can you know it's seamless you know mm -hmm. they don't have a problem asking like what how are things going. One mm -hmm. of the things I want to mention also that really impressive about um, the communities in Alberta, especially your oldest community, Whitehorn, is that they have done a tremendous job reducing any you know, psychiatric uh, use of drugs uh, for, for residents with dementia, Alzheimer's, or you know, any um, psychiatric issues. C can you speak at all to, to that? Because sure, that's absolutely. pretty extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, you know, we're very fortunate to have uh, some incredibly talented, driven um, uh, team members uh, leading our, our communities. And one of them is, you know, Cindy Rhoda in, in Calgary, who's very, my very first uh, team member that I hired back in uh, 2002. And, um, you know, and the, the relationship we have is we try to be as creative as possible around the reduction of the amount of prescription medications that our residents uh, uh, use on a daily basis. And um, 
Uh, so, you know, we've tried to focus on more holistic ways of, of managing pain and, and managing uh, sleep issues. We've looked at ways of uh, improving nutrition. Uh, and, but most fundamentally, we've looked at physical and cognitive uh, fitness. And, and we have found that the more we can keep people active and busy, the, the happier they are because they can, you know, our fall prevention program, for example, that we developed in, at, at Whitehorn Village is something that's used now in most uh, community centers in Alberta, as we call it Balance for Life. It's a very simple program, but it really works. And, and, and when you talk to your residents about why they should engage in Balance for Life uh, and you show them their ability to you know, sit to stand and walk with or without the use of an, a mobility device, um, you know, they start to understand why they should come to those classes and why they should invest the energy to, to stay more uh, physically fit. And all of those things tend to combine, you know, nutrition, exercise, cognitive wellness, and that comes from companionship and doing things that people like that we have found reduces the need for antipsychotic drugs uh, among, especially among people who are, are dealing with cognitive decline, right? And Outstanding. Yeah, Outstanding. you know, so it, it's pretty basic stuff, you know, it goes back thousands of years, right? We've, it isn't like we've only just started dealing with people with cognitive impairment. We're just dealing with a lot more of them yes. and people who are living much longer than ever before. So, you know, maybe what's old is new again. And yeah. So, so what's next on the horizon? Uh, uh, you know, I, yeah. you know, like when, like, can you believe what you've done this, uh, you know, Guyanese boy, you know, who <laughs> traveled around the world, degrees from MIT, Waterloo, and you know, Harvard, um, yeah. and and just rocking it, you know, in terms of trying to change people's lives. I mean, what's next for you? Well, I I think uh, uh, you know, just this opportunity to um, to bring our uh, sort of collective vision of what we believe um, not only facility-based care and services, but a, a concept for wellness, not just healthcare, because home care comes with a, a whole bag of, of, uh, of issues, but to create a true wellness at home concept, and then creating our club, uh, which is the opportunity for people who live independently, who receive services and assistance in wellness at home, uh, to, to join in a club, um, you know, like the community centers for seniors. But uh, we have learned that clubs today can also be virtual, right? They yes. Can, it can be a meetup at a, at a restaurant or a, or a museum or, you know, at, at a market someplace, uh, you know, when we get back to normal. Um, but just that whole idea of socialization contributing to uh, mental wellness uh, for people living at home, uh, but also having uh, community-based services because we know that ultimately uh, for those who are fortunate enough to live long lives, at some point they need to be in a service setting yes. where they can receive 24-hour assistance. Um, so we create those components as well. 
we've learned from our partnership in Poland about um, respite and recovery care and transitional care rehabilitation programs. Uh, and, and, you know, the folks at Origin Polska are using, you know, the state of the art robotics to help uh, people recover from catastrophic illnesses, strokes, mm. uh, that sort of thing. Um, but also from orthopedic uh, surgeries, hip replacements, knee replacements, help them get better uh, and, and be better than they were before they went into hospital. So, uh, we're learning all of those things. And most importantly, we're learning how to educate, how to train, how to empower, how to motivate, and ultimately how to attract people, young people, people looking at career changes, people looking for a second job, even family members, as you know, looking yes. to care for their aging parents. Uh, how do we educate those people not only to care for the senior, but also to care for themselves. And I, I, I don't wanna sound too maudlin about this, but, but we are not gonna be successful about just force feeding workers about how to care for the customer if we don't also show them that we care for them. Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think the model that you're modeling I think it's transformative and really exciting. And I, I feel with origin that, you know, you know, and of course I pray that everyone's, you know, stays safe and we, we've been able to help people and keep the community safe. But I think origin in some ways was so well prepared uh, without ever knowing this was coming because of that whole care idea about where there was coming straight from, you know, the CEO and senior leaders, general managers, you know, to throughout the communities that care and looking after each other, trusting each other, building relationships is essential. Mm -hmm. So, Neil, mm. thank you. We got a little taste. I, I hope you, of course, you're going to be back and we're going to yeah. be talking about all sorts of things. And I know that it must be very difficult for you because you're usually on a plane every uh, every few days so this this must be a very yeah. challenging time for you so yeah. we we're like i'm so glad you came to the pod and thank you for your support and and you know you're going to be you know you're like foundational to what we're doing and how we're going forward and i couldn't say enough about how grateful i am for you and um for the team and the community my friends Thank you for joining me in the pod today. Thank you to my guest. Thank you to all the people around the world listening. Keep subscribing, keep sharing, keep sending your feedback. We are just getting started. And thank you to my amazing team led by Stacey Maynard. Extraordinary. Ciao for now. See you soon. Be well.